0: Fantasy Animation is a completely free, online, educational resource dedicated to examining the relationship between fantasy storytelling and the medium of animation. It is staffed by a volunteer army of academics and animators who give up their time to run the website so that our audience can be kept informed not just about the latest goings-on in the world of all things that are drawn, imagined and sculpted, but to help inform them about the historical, political, ethical and aesthetic ramifications of what it means to make an animated fantasy. Check out our weekly blog posts, containing insights on everything from the sexual identity of SpongeBob SquarePants to how to make an animation on a pair of knickers. You can also access our archive of podcasts, featuring Oscar-winning VFX supervisors, historians, classicists, animators and folklorists discussing their favourite examples of fantasy animation. To find out more, visit us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Reddit at fananimresearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M-Research or visit fantasy-animation.org. I hope you enjoy the show mm mm-hmm. Hello, Hello listeners, listeners and, and welcome, welcome to the, the Fantasy, Fantasy Animation, Animation Podcast
1: with me Chris Holliday
0: and me Alex Sargent. We couldn't decide who got to do it for the hundredth time so we thought we'd do it together.
1: Yes this is our centenary, our hundredth episode. We d- I didn't think we'd get here but here we are. D- Hundred d- episodes d- didn't down think the line. get here? <laughs> well I wasn't, you know it's one of those things where you're like if no one, nobody listens and it is just me. I mean not that me and you chatting in a room is not, well not even chatting Infinitely in a room, chatting exciting. over it. Infinitely exciting, but um, we are I'm thrilled to reach our 100th episode, I must say.
0: I, I always knew we would get here. I've got a thousand episode plan uh, that I've just not shared right. with you yet. Don't you worry. I see. We'll be doing this well, so yes. we're older and greyer than we are, uh, sure. we are now.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, here we are, episode 100. Um, I suppose this is episode 100 not counting our footnote episodes, which um, obviously are the intervening shorter episodes. This is our 100th Uh, kind of I guess full length episode also Um, not
0: counting our bonus episodes uh, yes we've got a few of those
1: as well so actually the more we describe this the less and less it kind of feels like our hundredth episode (laughs) just (laughs) more and more like just another thing we've done and
0: that might be a theme of the uh, of what we're about to talk about because we were thinking about how to celebrate our hundredth episode happy anniversary Chris Um, yes and to you uh, I didn't get a card but you know
1: what, I that. mean, neither did I, but fine. <laughs> yeah,
0: fair. I don't know where you're going with this. I don't this. know why I thought I'd win that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, we, so we thought, how could we kind of pause and, 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 and acknowledge um, a milestone? And, and um, we thought a fun way um, of doing it would be to think about 100th episodes in popular animation. Um, so yeah. what we're going to do today is talk through 500th episodes of iconic... Uh, American primetime animation, and this is a good excuse for us to talk about some shows that we otherwise would find struggle to get into one episode, or would have to spend a lot of time—I don't know—having to do like a mini series of, for example. Um, but in this way, we can talk about them without sort of having to kind of go into every single minutia of every single season. We can just kind of give us a little snapshot of the history of American primetime animation um, through a kind of yeah, a review of of five hundredth episodes.
1: Yeah, and I should say that there is, or maybe we'll be able to weave this in as we go through the episode, but there's um, there's some good writing on sort of primetime American animation and television animation and the relationship that, that certain programs have with American culture and how you can kind of graph American culture and and, and, and um, I guess, yeah, the peaks and troughs of American culture and also cultural production through things like your Beavis and Buttheads or your King of the Hills or your Simpsons and, and actually watching some of these. Um, because there are a hundredth episode, even though, all of these programs where we're looking at the the 100th episode in i should say in some uh, in some guys or maybe with some um few caveats that we will explore the 100th episode comes at different points in the series life cycle so in some cases it's it's 3 years in and the first example we'll look at is only 3 years after the the original premiere whereas in some cases it's 8 years because the program was cancelled or it's 6 years because of the fact that there are long or shorter seasons, let's say. So there's some really interesting stuff around the hundredth episode. Doesn't it means different things, I think, to, to lots and lots of different television programs. And and certainly, I was surprised, or I was surprised at how early the hundredth episode fell in some cases versus how late it feels in some other examples that we're going to look at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the, so the episodes that we have, uh, or the series we've selected, are uh, the Flintstones, uh, the yes. Simpsons, King of the Hill. South Park and Family Guy. So hopefully listeners will see a kind of through line, you know, it's it's domestic um animated comedies um on primetime American television. And there's a lot of crossover and synergy between those things. You know, they're all kind of riffing on one another, I think. So, you know, there would be no um Simpsons without the Flintstones. There would be no uh South Park, Family Guy and King of the Hill yeah. without the Simpsons. So, I think there's um a good way of us kind of leaping from one to the other and, and telling that story. Or giving a snapshot of that story of american animation um, television Ooh. animation uh, by going through these, um, do we have any thoughts on 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 watching these five episodes overall before we before we kind of start going through them
1: <clears throat> Well, I suppose I was interested in the i think all of them relate to the family in lots and lots of quite well different ways but also very explicit ways um, and there are I suppose the relationship that the the, the various ways that the programmes have a relationship to popular culture but also American history. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of stuff around, I guess, the family. From an institutional perspective or an industrial perspective, um, the things that connect up the episode relate to st- kind of stardom and celebrity and, and the role of star voices, um, the way in which these programmes evoke a kind of sitcom model mm-hmm. in some cases, either... Uh, well, in, again, in the Flintstones cases, using a kind of live studio audience laughter track in really interesting ways. Yeah. Um, you before we came on air, you were saying, "Oh, there's lots of things about moving out and dogs that connects up these series."
0: Well, yeah. What 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 struck me, I would I would say actually, is that I was expecting to watch five quite self-referential, self-reflective, mm. um, well, you know, backslappers. To be honest, I thought what I was going to watch were five very abnormal episodes of these series because mm. it was the 100th episode but actually what i got was five pretty normal and and un un you know and unassuming episodes of of the show and there's a there's a the couch sorry not the couch gag the the chalk gag in the in the simpsons kind of it's um, is oh, yeah. saying, "I will not celebrate meaningless mi- milestones, and in a way that kind of that's you know maybe that's a lesson for us, but like um, th- but that that seems to be the mantra of of all of these shows in many ways, and that they're not clip shows they're not flashbacks they're not anything necessarily special, but in their own quiet way, they are kind of acknowledging their hundredthness by you know they're, they're often stories at least in some of the cases of you know um, a rupture in the family sometimes characters are moving out of the home Uh, sometimes they're faced with choices about whether the equilibrium of which this series is based upon will change or not not in all cases but there were there were some of them when we'll get to them as we go that seem to you know acknowledge acknowledge their hundredthness in a very quiet way but there's there's very little kind of you know obvious celebratory activities going on here
1: yeah I, I agree with you. I was expecting a lot more bells and whistles in 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 some cases. Uh, there are a couple of references I think in the South Park episode which mm-hmm. we 'll get to that talk about its a hundredthness. I, I should say that part of what we were doing we were looking at um, uh, my feeling was that at least one of them would be a clip show, and it turns out that that wasn't the case. Um, I should say that our one hundredth episode of Family Guy is the one hundredth broadcast episode, and we've tried to do that across the board actually, picking episodes that are the the hundredth in terms of the the way that they were they were, way that they were broadcast um, rather than I know that Family Guy did a hundredth episode special mm. which was a television movie from 2007 which is more like a clip show which is more like the the um, actors and and characters in some cases kind of playing on the fact that they're part of this television program we decided not to take that as the hundredth episode we took the hundredth broadcast kind of twenty minute twenty two minute episode. As, as our example or as part of our sample, let's say. So all of the episodes are quote-unquote normal episodes insofar as they are part of a season or they are a season premiere and they're part of the normal run of programming. But actually, in, in a couple of cases, I think they sort of play with their... The family Guy plays with its 100th-ness by having this, this extraneous, not part of the run reflective episode yeah. which feels more like a documentary than than a, a standard episode so we've gone down the standard episode route i should say but other yeah. other forms of a hundredth celebration uh, are available yeah.
0: they had to function as an episode in the series yes. i guess they were the hundredth episode not something um pausing and reflecting on it and i guess if yeah. we're not careful this won't function as an episode because we'll be constantly talking about the hundredthness of this thing so i guess yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get on with it then shall we so let's um Let's start with The Flintstones. It seems like the perfect place to start. The Flintstones, the first primetime American animation cartoon, Um, the forebearer of everything to come, Hanna-Barbera. I'll start with my impossible question. Let's get it out of the way. My hundredth one. Uh, What is uh, significant about The Flintstones in the history of U.S. animation on television?
1: well i would say that that you mentioned hanna-barbera so if we're taking hanna-barbera to be one of the main american animation studios of the of the golden age um the latter end of the golden age so the 1950s i think to onwards really um and i would say that they are synonymous more with television animation let's say um than some other than than the disney or your warner brothers as, as well um i would say that alongside tom and jerry the flintstones is probably hanna-barbera's sort of signature Signature um, product. Certain studios obviously have their signature icon, their iconic character, their iconic product. Um, uh, and yeah, definitely in the case of Hanna Barbera, I would say the Flintstones um, alongside Tom and Jerry. I suppose uh, the Flintstones sits, sits alongside a number of programs in the in the nineteen fifties um, that Hanna Barbera also produced. So stuff like Top Cat, uh, the Jetsons. But the Flintstones, I think, is really important because. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the most financially successful animation um, series, um, and the, also the longest running um, network animation television series, and was until The Simpsons overtook it. Um, so I think, yeah, it's it's often held up as a as an important milestone in in animation, si- animation's relationship to the short form, animation's relationship to sitcom, animation's relationship to to humor, um, and also world building. I, I always find with the Flintstones that it's that, that kind of prehistoric narrative romanticizing the prehistoric period and kind of playing with technology um yeah i suppose the flintstones is if you take hannah william hannah and joseph barbera as as icons of american animation and television animation um the flintstones is up there with 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 tom and jerry as a really important mid-century um kind of yeah post-war american um product
0: yeah it's it's a really interesting show because and uh, it's exactly everything that i when i think of the flintstones i think of Dishwashers that are actually like mammoths, dinosaurs, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And I think that 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 kind of paradox or that contradiction between a show that's nominally about prehistory but is actually about 1950s, 1960s sort of suburbia and, yeah. and this yeah. kind of what, what Todorov would call the kind of technological marvelous, which is like this, this kind of wonder, um, almost magic in technology. Um, that that this show is sort of about, and the way it kind of essentially celebrates the domestic space, right? It's a it's a show that is in love with appliances and hoovers and all the sort of new technologies of the last two decades that have made domestic suburban you know wasp life um, so much more comfortable. Um, and it's also in love with kind of you know the the the, the bad side. So- well, the 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 other side of that, in terms of it's also you know very interested in 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 conservative gender roles and the conflict between housewife mm. and and mm. working husband and 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 the kind of you know th- those sort of things it it plays like you know a, a 50s 60s sitcom um which yeah. we talked a little bit about when we did like wandavision and and yeah, and yeah the way it uses a fantasy rhetoric through the animation to kind of spectacularize things that are actually quite mundane and quite kind of taken for granted as part of kind of middle class American life makes that kind of you know that's why it's so popular right is that actually it's using a fantastical trapping to make something that is otherwise quite dull very exciting.
1: Mm, mm. Well, that's interesting because it sort of intensifies through its its prehistoric narrative and it's it's taking us back to the Stone Age, sort of doing mid century America but through the lens of the Stone Age. It's sort of intensifying the the sort of the idea of the period drama or or stories that are set set in the past. I remember when we've well, I think when we've taught or when, certainly when I studied, but when we've taught together something like Bonnie and Clyde that's that's set in the or set in the in the twenties, thirties made in the late 60s and it's the sort of using the past to talk about, using the 30s to talk about the 60s and and period dramas and and stuff set in the past is never really about the period in which it is set, it's using that as a rubric or as a lens or as a framework through which to understand its kind of contemporary moment this feels like a real intensification of that because it really dramatises the notion of the past and using the past as you say to talk about post-war America and it's interesting you mentioned the sort of nuclear family and and the, the role of the domestic space and kind of playing with that through alarm clocks that are birds or um uh, in this episode getting on a bus that um you put some money into the i think into the beak of a of a, a bird or something and it rings a little bell and that's your ding ding sort of thing um uh, lots of writing you know cultural studies that looks at post-war america and and uh, writing by people like betty Friedan who are talking about yeah. the the feminist mystique and this sort sure, of sure. post-war displacement both for, uh, from masculine from men and women so kind of um Masculinity in in crisis, as we know, masculinity is always in crisis, but certainly in the post-war period, men coming back from the war and not really knowing their... or feeling displaced, not really knowing their place. But equally, women who had previously taken over roles while men had gone gone off fighting are now equally displaced and there's this sort of syndrome as betty Friedan mentions this sort of thing that has no name this shared malaise among among post-war american femininity and i kind of got that through the episode the ways in which this episode because i mean nominally this episode is about um a beauty pageant or a, a, a child's a child's beauty yeah, pageant yeah. But Fre- fred that,
0: wants to enter uh, pebbles into a child beauty pageant Wilma doesn't want him to because she thinks these things are, you know, corrupting or, you know, not nice on the child. Um, but Fred wants to win the cash prize so he wants to do it anyway. So he Concox various schemes with Barney to uh yes. to, to make this happen and try and win it. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But so that is that's a good example of a very low stakes. I think you mentioned like mundane. I mean, it's it's sort of mundane. It's it's unusual but it's it's familiar and mundane. But against that that the episode or the, the the writers managed to kind of play with m- Fred and Barney's relationship as this kind of terrible duo that have mm-hmm. these harebrained schemes. Sure. And I think a, a lot of, um, of uh, Wilma's scenes... Uh, what's the other name of the character? Betty. For God's sake? Betty! Oh, goodness me. A lot of scenes... <laughs> we'll cut that out. A lot of scenes... Um, it's the 100th episode. Give me a break. Um, uh, Wilma and Betty are seen a lot of the time kind of commenting on the action but they're commenting on the action from inside the domestic space and kind of telling off the 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 um the men of or their respective partners that this is we don't want this to happen we don't want this to and i, I and there's something really interesting about the way that the the program sets up the these two these two pairs and the kinds of spaces that they that they inhabit and i really like that as you say yeah that intensification of using using the stone age to to not really say anything about the stone age at all it's not really about that it's it's kind of playing with the notion of technology and uh uh yeah i think kind of technological progress and and um i guess the rise of television itself it's about the rise of television the rise of technology it's about the rise and and, you know and
0: suburbia you know they're all they're obsessed with bowling alleys and yes the the drive-through bit in the end credits where you know uh, you know, famously, gets the ribs, and it the car falls over, and taking the cat out, and or you know all that. that you know, it's, it's this isn't a, this isn't an urban space. This is a kind of suburban space. You know, so there's that too. You know, it's very yeah. much sort of invested in, in that world. And I wondered, you know, the gender politics of this episode are are very what of the time in that. So you know, Wilma and Betty are humorless. They're mirthless. They're really sort of this. You know, they, they're the, they they are this sort of an embodiment of a kind of domestic domesticity and a domestic prison to which uh, Barney and Fred are constantly trying to evade and escape. You know, they they seem to, you know, their idea of a good time is hanging out with their mates, going bowling, concocting these schemes and outwitting their wives rather than kind of any, um, you know, uh, loving or, or or mutual relationship. And I, and I think that might be a theme going forward and that it's, it's interesting that, in the nineteen sixties, at least that that can be rooted to domestic, uh, to mainstream domestic gender politics. By the time we get to two thousand, the two thousands, that is less true. But there are, I think, is it yeah? There, well, I, I think every single episode, every single other series that's, that that fo- focuses on one family, which I guess South Park would be the exception, has a has a housewife as the key mm. um, mm-hmm. female protagonist of the show. Yeah. And, and, yep. and one, one wants to ask, is that, is that conservative writers' fault or is it the Flintstones' fault? In the sense that all of these shows are essentially r- riffing on that model that's been set up by the Flintstones. So there's, there's an element of which, are they choosing yeah. the housewife consciously as an embodiment of contemporary femininity? Or are they choosing the housewife because in these kinds of shows, these are the kind of characters you have to play with and riff on?
1: That's really interesting, because I, I know more about The Simpsons and Family Guy than I do some of the other series, as, as will become clear. This was my first and only episode of South Park that I've watched, for sure. example, and equally King of the Hill. Um, that's really interesting, because in the ninth episode of the first season of The Simpsons, there is an episode called Life on the Fast Lane, which is about bowling, um, and it's where Marge meets a guy called Jacques, this mm. kind of exuberant French Frenchman who wants to whisk her off and take her away from her life with Homer. But it's interesting that after nine episodes, The Simpsons was kind of playing with femininity in that way by talking about the home as a place of constraint. So. I, I I take your point that The, the Simpsons and, and I guess there are episodes of Family Guy that also do the same that have Lois leaving Peter Marge wants to leave even The Simpsons movie is about Marge kind of ending her yeah. marriage to, to, to Homer so this has become a kind of common thread and I wonder whether yeah I hadn't thought about that whether these programs are including that nuclear family and dog to yeah. play with to play with a template that was set up by or or, or to say that this is this is an accurate representation of contemporary femininity and contemporary the the world that we live in contemporary American society, or is it kind of playing on the archetype set up by the Flintstones yeah. and saying, well, actually, nine episodes in, we are going to explore uh, Marge's disillusionment with her with her life in a yeah. way that I don't I don't think there episode I mean I well th- there's I'm, like, I'm like, like, like one brief ro- scene
0: there's one brief scene in the Flintstones where Betty and Wilma are alone together. And, yes. and the scene is about them expressing their anxieties that Barney and Fred will leave them for other women. women um, yeah. be, a, a, and the, the, the joke is like, how you know who you know? Fred's going out. Don't worry, Fred won't be um won't won't attract any other women because he's fat and he's you know. And they do that with each other, and they still aren't appeased. So this you know these the you know it's the what's the Wilma Flintstone syndrome where the, the the glamorous housewife is paired with the kind of schlubby um um. Male protagonist, but like even when they're allowed alone, it's them that have the anxiety that the others will leave them, rather than to be honest, vice versa. The way the the men behave in this show, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> well, and and both, yeah, and both, exactly. The the schlubby male is is Homer Simpson and is Peter Griffin, and yeah. and there are a lot of riffs around in both of those series around the fact that quite clearly these are men that are punching above their weights. And, and the characters also are aware of this and the female characters are aware of this. So yeah, I hadn't really thought about that that discrepancy between the way that the the the, the female is used, the domestic female is used in something like the Flintstones and how that kind of changes through a more yeah. nuanced understanding of their hopes and their desires and their anxieties that aren't tethered to worrying that their partner is going to leave them but actually trying to and maybe this comes from kind of second wave feminism as we move through to to post-feminist culture and things like this this idea of kind of female autonomy and agency and 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 a kind of an irony or a knowingness that um very much defines post-feminist culture well
0: well, as um, i say you know i the narrative is the simpsons is quite clearly riffing on the flintstones and everything else is kind of riffing on the simpsons so there's a there's a there's a yeah, this is the sandbox. This is the tools of which these these shows operate. So it's interesting that people don't think to just break the sandbox and get different toys and different tools, but rather mm-hmm. continue to kind of add self reflexive and and different nuances on these kind of well worn templates. Yeah. um but that's well, probably a good moment to move. Yeah, onto the Simpsons, yeah. Let's
1: uh, let's get to the Simpsons. So we we. The Flintstones, I think, in our in our list of examples, was one of the first series to reach 100th episodes and would have been, as I said, the longest-running television programme, animated television programme. Um, and, and and I said to you again before we came on earth that when The Simpsons was good, it was very, very good. Um, uh, it's, it's perhaps... All the episodes of The Simpsons I watch today seem like they're sponsored by Apple. There's always an Apple product in the background or there's a riff on an iPad or something like this. Whereas this episode, so this is episode 19 of season five of the Sim- Sir Simpsons, Sweet Seymour Skinner's Badass Song. Um, and is one of those episodes. A lot of, the, a lot of the good Simpsons episodes, I feel like are focused around Principal Skinner. And actually one of the, the most interesting episodes is one of the later episodes of the Simpsons, where, uh, which is, I think, the only one that Matt Groening, who's the creator of the Simpsons, um, regrets, which is uh, an episode that reveals that uh, Seymour Skinner isn't really Seymour Skinner at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's some imposter. So, certain episodes are successful because they gravitate towards what is an incredible ensemble of characters. Yeah. And, and certainly, The Simpsons is one of these programs that really nuances as well with these rich and incredible kind of. Um, Three-dimensional characters in all corners of Springfield, even though Springfield itself, the geography of Springfield is all over the place. Yeah, um, sure. So this is episode, as I said, no, 19th episode of the fifth season, um, and it's about Principal Skinner and begins with the chalkboard, I Will Not Celebrate Meaningless Milestones. Yeah. Alex, what is this episode about?
0: Yeah, so this is, a, having just talked about the Homer-Marge relationship uh, as part of our setup. actually, oddly, yeah. this isn't about yeah. that very much, yeah. which is surprising, because you would have thought... The standard narrative, right, is that they thought The Simpsons was going to be about Bart Simpson, and then about halfway through season one, they realised that Homer's a much more interesting character, and the rest, yeah. of the, the rest of the show's about Homer. But actually, this is a show about Bart. This is a show about Bart um, taking, basically, causing havoc at school. He takes Santa's yes. little helper, his dog. There we are. The dog's back again. Um, to um, to to show and tell, and, and causes a ruckus, and, and gets Principal Skinner fired from his job. Um, which Bart instantly feels very guilty about. Um, His kind of, you know, loving adversary is is no longer in school. He's replaced by Ned Flanders, who is a very ineffectual and, and, you know... um, and, and can't discipline the students, and it's basically Lord of the Flies in there. Bart doesn't feel suitably <laughs> challenged because he doesn't have a good enough adversary, and he actually ends up developing a friendship with 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 um, with Principal Skinner that then sees them collaborate to get him his job back.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, uh, and, and this episode for me kind of crystallizes a lot of what The Simpsons. Crystallizes a lot of what The Simpsons is about, but also some other notes I had. So one of the things I didn't mention in relation to The Flintstones was um, Mel Blanc playing Barney. He didn't sure. always voice Barney, but he would kind of, um, you know, I think there are a few series where he's replaced, but um, the episode that we watched, Mel Blanc, is, is the voice of Barney. And Mel Blanc is, is sort of the quintessential American voice actor. But he's very much of, of of the world of The Simpsons insofar there is a discrepancy, which we'll come to when we look at Family Guy, between um, celebrities voicing The versions kind of tweaked versions of themselves celebrities voicing um, characters within the world of the the animation television program and then voice actors who become stars through their ability to or in the case of the simpsons a a core group of about six to eight voice actors who are central to the um, success of the program that voice pretty much all of the characters in some way shape or form that have a kind of unifying consistency to the world as much as the visual character designs and actually I think industrially are important to the success of, I remember there are instances where Simpsons is going to if one of the voice actors leaves you have a real problem with, with imitation or how do you then what does that mean for The Simpsons? What does it mean for the future of the program? Are these are these characters or are these voice actors going to come back for the movie? I remember there was a lot of stuff around negotiating collectively amongst sure. this core group of voice actors, um, and this is a good example of of a program that is built on the strength of its of the characters that inhabit, as I said, the world of Springfield and the ability of the program, which doesn't often happen. Um, I suppose Cheers is, is in the live-action sense is a good example. Friends is a good example, um, where the strength of all of the characters means that it can spin off in any direction, and, and, and supporting characters can lead entire episodes. The Disney Renaissance is really propelling animation back into the public consciousness again, so it's it's important to what we would call the second golden age of, of animation after the um, golden age of the 30s, 40s, uh, up to the 50s. So... Culturally, the, the progress is important. I don't think we need to to say much about um, about that. But um, what other elements of this, the episode struck you? Anything? Yeah. Are you a Simpsons fan? Was did this feel did this yeah. feel typical in some ways? I, or
0: I'm a Simpsons fan. I think I think
1: I don't. I haven't watched it in
0: quite some time, and it wasn't no any kind no of, me neither. It wasn't a kind of like I am switching it off now kind of. Um, um, gesture on my part. I haven't watched a lot of these in some time. South Park, I'm also a massive fan of, and I haven't watched that for years, although oh, really? I, I accept there are controversies with South Park's back catalogue. Indeed, there are with The Simpsons. You know, you're talking about voice yeah. actors. Apu is in this episode, voiced by Hank Azaria, um, and there's a whole controversy about, you know, I haven't seen how they've dealt with it, but I know he now no longer voices the character for very important reasons, but I would. I wonder, so what do we have now? Do we have a person doing an imitation of a character, of a, of a white man's imitation of an indian store yeah. clerk you know which yeah. is, it gets all very murky and very confusing so um you know so that's just just to flag that up because it's worth, yeah. worth flagging up um but, yeah. but yes so now so
1: now a person of, a person of color is doing an impression of a white man doing the impression of yeah. the, the that, beca- because uh, to, because to of to your line to,
0: to quote your line is that is that better or is that much worse um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um interesting um, yeah i don't know but anyway um what i i think what the simpsons problem is in terms of its longevity is a problem with satire this is this is the, what the simpsons was when it burst onto the scene was the nuclear family but the, but the joke was the real nuclear family you know this isn't the idyllic housewife the the you know the lovable um, but kind of street smart husband. This is an oaf, a you know dissatisfied housewife, um, a a bratty child. These these are this is the real America exposed. And what's that famous line, George? Bush Senior said about the Simpsons you know that America is engaged in a culture war um, prescient um, and uh, we should be you know people should be more like the Waltons and less like the Simpsons or something like that which the Simpsons yeah. then yeah. used as like a badge of honour in their advertising campaign but I think satire has a problem remaining stable right the whole point of satire is to is to destabilise and to, and to push back against and to reject but it's very difficult Shrek has this problem right how do you keep being satirical and be really successful and the most popular thing on television and, and maintain that kind of spiky outsider energy. And I was struck with this episode, just the encapsulation of that tension was the couch gag, which is the, 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 um, the family taking the fox symbol in the corner of the screen, throwing it onto the carpet and stamping on it. Uh, yeah. And I thought that's very interesting in that that's quite, a, that's quite a spiky thing to do for your 100th episode to kind of put a two fingers up to the network that created you. But it's also quite a safe thing to do. If you're going to do that, do it in the couch gag because the couch bag gag sort of doesn't mean very much anyway anymore. So even mm. by then, it's sort of a throwaway gag. So it's kind of safe. It's, it's mm. safe satire. And at the moment, satire feels safe it stops being very satirical. I think that is an inherent problem The Simpsons has had, is that the longer it's gone on, the harder it is to see it as these kind of bunch of plucky outsiders taking shots at the mainstream. What they are now is the mainstream. You know, they're so in yeah. the mainstream, it's hard to separate the mainstream from The Simpsons.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I was talking about the the... Perhaps one of the most radical spaces of The Simpsons is the couch gag. I hadn't really thought about that. I remember there was a, a bit of a, um, a brouhaha around one of the um, couch gags from an earlier episode. Well, an earlier than we are now, but from around 2009, 2010, which is essentially how the cells are made. And yeah. you kind of cut to a Korean sweatshop as they, all these cells are being painted and, and it's sort of revealing something about the labour of animation production mm-hmm. and the outsourcing of cartoons to, to different parts of the world. But... Um, the kind of the space, well, actually, a, a lot of, if you, if you think about radical in terms of its politics, but also um, kind of stylistically, I'd say that they're part of what makes a lot of these programs less so Family Guy, but I would perhaps, um, this is probably true of King of the Hill and the Flintstones. You know, they're out of rules and worlds and worlds needing rules, and there's a certain degree of kind of hyper realism going on um, where if characters are shot at, they are injured. Rare as you know and all those ramifications and the stakes and drama and jeopardy and and family guy does play with this actually within its its kind of television diegetic world it sort of plays with inconsequentiality of, of violence and things like this um and the Simpsons as well i think is 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 the opposite end of that you know if stuff characters are often in hospital or characters are unable to bear, to, to bear children or mm-hmm. characters are um characters die in the case of Flanders's wife and things like this um the couch gag of the Simpsons is often a place where the rules of the world like it's 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 where the program is at its most animated mm. because the world is fractured and transgressed and things are at their most kind of anarchic and I'll use the term, plasmatic, let's say.
0: <laughs> well, let's move on to, to King of the Hill. Is Yes. The, that's the next one. So I'm, I,
1: not, I'm definitely not familiar with King of the Hill. I'm I've much seen, less...
0: I'm, I think this is the one you and I are least familiar with. I have seen yeah. quite... I'd say I'd seen a handful or so of episodes. I've probably seen at least 10 episodes of King of the Hill over the time and I quite, I'm quite interested in Mike Judge the the the, the kind of the showrunner yeah. and things and you know um, office space and idiocracy and all these kind of mm-hmm. things so um, yeah King of the Hill this this made me want to watch more King of the Hill if I'm honest I thought this was a really um, different tone in many ways a mm. lot less abrasive and a lot less wacky and a lot less sort of you know uh, razzmatazz kind of animated style and and and, and storytelling to all the others that we've watched there's nothing kind of particularly whimsical or wacky about King of the Hill it's, no. it's, it feels a lot more like a kind of you know it could be live action um, it, you know in the yes. sense that you could you could film this episode and play it out perhaps it's a little bit far fetched um, in some places in the plot um, I guess I'll do the plot the plot is, the episode's called Hank's Choice and basically the episode is about Bobby his son who um, develops allergies to the beloved family dog whose name escapes me uh but hank's beloved dog um, and basically uh, uh hank has to choose between his son and his dog uh, a choice that he finds a lot harder than perhaps he should um to the point where he builds this very elaborate dog house for his dog to live in so that bobby can remain allergy free and actually in yep. the end offers the doghouse to Bobby who delightfully takes up the opportunity because it means he gets to watch whatever television he likes and eat pizza in the garden rather than have to come in and eat broccoli
1: but also seems to develop to develop this incredible social life he's like oh, I can't make that this evening yeah. <laughs> because <you> know, <laughs> yeah. we're, we have, we've got drinks this <laughs> yeah, evening or something like yeah. that yeah, yeah.
0: yeah exactly uh, so it's sort of about that and, and the, 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 the ostracism from the, from sort of the rest of his friends that Hank and and Peggy um, receive because their their son's living in a doghouse. Um, and then, you know, it all resolves itself and, and it's all fine. But again, another episode, when I was talking about this, they're about the, the disruption of an equilibrium quite often. You know, we've lost Principal Skinner in the previous episode. Oh my god, are we not going to get Principal Skinner be the head of the Springfield Elementary anymore? Well, this is We've got a son literally being evicted from the house um and a and a, and two characters kind of put against one another um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought i thought um I thought the characters were very rounded I thought it was all very um it was it was quieter but in a way more interesting than a lot of the episodes, maybe just because of a lack of a familiarity
1: yeah no i am the same I, I definitely am not i've never seen King of Hells as a, this is my first episode I'm aware of Mike judge through the office space but also Beavis and butthead and and I remember going to the cinema to see Beavis and Butthead do America and Mike Judge is kind of the creative of King of the Hill and, and voices Hank as well. Um, a couple of notes that I had around the title sequence. I love the way the kind of the illusion of time lapse footage, which is actually a nice little connection to the ep- episode that we looked at of The Simpsons, which begins with this um, Wonder Years style um, illusion of footage that is being viewed through an old kind of um through film stock sure. and it's being kind of played because Bart's looking for something to take into school for show yeah. and tell. So I liked that kind of illu- it, the illusion or the the kind of fake what we would call now I guess a, a, a level of photo realism, the kind of evocation of lens based media. So I really liked that illusion of time animation as a as a process or a technique built on hiding the edits. Actually, was conjuring through the evocation of time lapse footage. Something quite interesting in terms of aesthetics, I thought was was interesting, and, and and also anticipate South Park, which has the means of production or the fake means of production in terms of its title sequence and the hands coming in and cutting out the characters. so I liked that. I thought it was a nice counterpoint to the Simpsons um, one just just through character design, you know we would say that these are these are hyper realist or, or more realist. Mm. you said it could be it could have been filmed in live action i think that that is both a function of its style and its yes. use of camera work and the fact that it's not it's not really mining the creativity of animation in the way that animation purists might say it's not leaning towards animation medium specificity and what it's trying to do it's not transforming the body it's no no this is just a, a, a again a relatively mundane story about a child's allergies essentially yeah, yeah, um yeah. so it's okay. live action that's, yeah.
0: No, go no, no, no. I, I think that's right, and I think I think the quiet political thing that I maybe this is a post, you know, a post 2021 2022 looking back on a show kind of analysis. But I, I thought the quietly political thing going on in this it was that this is about a very this is about a southern family. You know, it's, yeah. it's, and it's and not just because they're from Texas, but it's a Southern family. Like I, I know enough about King of the Hill to know that Hank likes he's you know he's a, he's a I think he's pro gun. I think he's you know a, a, a shooter. He drinks beer at the side of his um, um of his property with his mates around the around the around the road. Yep. Um, you know he's 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 uh, he's he's conservative in a small C. Kind of a phrase, and yet he is articulate and intelligent and um and well-rounded, and we're not. This isn't Cletus the slap-jawed yokel uh, from The Simpsons, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, and I think I think there's something quietly political about that in that this is a repre- representation of Southern culture in a way that I'm not sure Simpsons necessarily is, and I'm not sure when we get to South Park or or King of the Hill. I'm uh, sorry or Family Guy, which is very much set in New England. Um, Who is this playing to? I'd like to know more about the demographics of who King of the Hill was popular with, but I think the choice to set it in Texas and have this very nuanced portrayal of the family seemed quietly political in a world of, um, you know, extreme lefts, extreme rights, and Mm. and bitterness in between. You know, Um, this this seemed to be playing to a broader political spectrum than perhaps... um, the, the, the liberalism of 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 um Simpson certainly we can come to the politics of South Park very soon and that 's a whole other quagmire
1: yeah um, i I have well quagmire is a very good link to Ooh. family guy, but we'll leave that there um, i I have questions about whiteness in sure. King of the Hill and the sort of the way uh, and a quick google has, has told me that there is some some writing on on whiteness and racial imagery in in king of the hill and and there 's a line from from Bobby in an episode. Um, kind of talking about the history of, of essentially white colonialism uh, are you sure that white people did all of that stuff because i come from white people and this is the first i'm hearing of it and what the what the program is sort of doing is i guess playing with with guilt white guilt and tolerance and what it means to kind of a new gesture to this in, in terms of hank's conservatism with a small c though there are lots of red hats i noticed yeah, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the series um what it means to to think about um or what it means to for viewers when we align ourselves with actions of of a white white family and I guess writing on whiteness would would argue actually what this program does is is use class maybe to talk about whiteness, or mm. or maybe that's a maybe that's a problem with the way that we understand whiteness is that that writers like Richard Dyer would say, well, whiteness is invisible, and, and what we end up doing is talking about fifty other things before we talk about whiteness. So we talk about class, and we talk about America, and whiteness comes very low down on the list. Where actually, fair. The, the, this this program kind of thinks about thinks about whiteness, and I and I don't, it doesn't always lean on on class it doesn't always try to veil its its understanding or its interrogation of whiteness by leaning on class um the most important element of the wo- of the phrase white trash is the word white not the phrase not the bit that's trash it's about kind of yeah i guess thinking through and i got this with with king of the hill thinking through what what whiteness looks like what it feels like and the simpsons again is very is very good at that i think um but there was something about king of the hill that that critiqued whiteness whilst not necessarily having to lean on class to make its point or to make so to lean on class distinction It's it's, it, it centered this episode, certainly centered its action around the family. There weren't very many supporting characters. It was just about the, the kind of strange relationship that exists between the father and the son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought embedded within that, I'd need to watch more of the episode. Um, um but the relationship that King of the King of the Hill has to satire and on what, what its relationship to satire then has to say about about whiteness in Southern America in ways that don't discredit its understanding of whiteness or relegate a discussion of whiteness to class, but actually, mm. yeah... I hope I'm I, making I, sense. No, bit you
0: bit. are. I, I I I need to refresh my memory of, of a lot of the episodes too. So we'll I guess we'll we'll kind of draw it here and move on to something we could talk with more authority about. But I do remember actually. Well, there's a character in the episode we both watched, Connie, Bobby's best friend, who is um, a second gen Asian um, American. Yeah. Um, uh, and I. Re- it's not in the episode, but there is definitely a representation of Native American culture in the that's, right, that's recurring right. in in the episode. Where I, I think one of the local. Um uh, people on the street get into a relationship with a Native American man. Something I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably butchering now, But I, I'm, I'm mentioning this. Of course, the, fil- the the show is extremely white, and um, be- 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 perhaps the- those those tensions are part of what it's trying to explore, as as, as much as it is everything else. Yeah. But yeah, I think I, it's, I, it's yeah. very smart. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is very smart. I think I didn't realise that when I watched it sort of the first time. I liked it when I used to watch it, but it never kind of grabbed me that actually. In a way, this is the, the quietest, the, the most mature of all the shows that we've watched, I would argue, um, today. Um, and that does. I love immaturity. We're about to get to immaturity, and I love immaturity in comedy, mm-hmm. and I love silliness and all that sort of stuff. So, maturity doesn't have to be a, a fundamental virtue, but this was the most mature of, of the shows we watched. So, we move yeah. on to some fart gags. <laughs> yes,
1: I. So here's not, where we're going to
0: split, I think. So so yeah. you, you take it away first.
1: Well, I'm not a big fan of South Park. I've, I never really got it. I've never understood it. Um, I remember when I was about 15 years old, having a sleepover with a couple of friends and they put on the South Park you know, the movie, yep. and I fell, I fell asleep. I, and I've never felt compelled to watch the end of it. And I very rarely fall asleep in films. I pride, as a film scholar, I pride myself on sitting through the bitter end and, and comes from an undergraduate. The credits are part of the film, so we stand, and now Marvel obviously have made made that an hmm. impossible task to leave early. But I just haven't, I never really got, I've never really got South Park. I think it's interesting, um, but maybe it comes from my um my poor knowledge of American history, uh, I can see that this program, this episode in particular, was doing something really smart with with American history. Uh, but I'm my interest in South Park is celebrity voices are impersonated poorly and um, how it reveals the seams of its construction. But it does that in the title sequence and everything after that, I sort of feel... I just never got it, Alex. just yeah. never got so it. I, and loved, I feel like you have. I
0: loved South Park. I still... Well, I haven't watched it very recently. Um, again, again, not out of any active choice just because we've got lives to live, haven't we? Um, you know, and, and, and other things to watch and stuff like that. But I haven't watched it very recently and, and I haven't watched it for about five, ten years. And I'm not... I, and I think it has its controversies and I think its politics is both on a positive and a negative all over the place. Um, I think positively mm. that's a great thing because I think... Um, I think South Park is is perhaps the most abrasive and challenging, and is most likely to, if you watch ten episodes, show you something that is both very very funny and also very very offensive. And yes. I don't think of being offensive is a virtue, but I think uh, being not not being safe is a virtue. So, um, um, so I, I I loved it for that reason, and I think it's 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 silliness belies uh, our wit. And intelligence that is there. I think there are episodes that I would call racist. I think there are episodes that I would call transphobic. I think there are mm-hmm. episodes that are called that that, <clears throat> that that and I think there are also episodes that, that that I would call extremely progressive and and interesting. I think and I think that I think if I had to diagnose the problem and the solution to understanding South Park is that Trey Parker and Matt Stone have no idea what their ideological framework is mm. and go from episode to episode making knee-jerk. Um, and outlandish statements about things. Uh, and the and, and I think the key to understanding South Park that's slightly different from all the other episodes is that it's made on a much more fractural weekly structure. Um, mm-hmm. That the show is made to respond to recent events and, and, and is meant to be timely. So in yeah. a way, its timeliness is its virtue and its vice. Because if you're saying something two days after the fact you're rarely going to say the most nuanced and well considered thing in the world and a lot of their episodes are very not well considered um, yeah. but sometimes by being so timely and punchly they can, they can hit on something and I, and, I, and, I, and I respect that kind of um, devil may care approach to it um, to an extent I don't think it always works but yeah. I, mean, I, yeah. I love Sapper and I just get the humour I think it's really funny and I thought <laughs> this episode was, was I remember watching this episode years ago and i and i and i and i was i was pleased to relive it so this one is it's called i'm a little bit country and it's riffing on the famous song you know i'm a little bit country i'm a little bit rock and roll um it, the iraq war is raging um uh i'm not sure yeah, if so this, this is, is pre is, or post invasion but it's certainly so ap- at the time
1: yeah this is april the 9th 2003 not that yeah. you necessarily know off the top of your head when the invasion was, yeah, yeah, but it yeah, clearly yeah. clearly it's 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 of yeah post nine eleven culture. But it's we're at into, least in, in the build war. up
0: to Iraq War, right? Yeah. And and the town is divided between um, those who are uh, bitterly opposed to the war and those who are um, pro uh, the intervention. And mm. I, and I actually think in in quite presciently again talking about kind of divisions now reflected in a in a in a in a thing over a decade ago, we get this kind of re- you know um, where I think South Park is really good at d- is doing this is 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 reducing both sides of a debate to idiocy because of the extremes of opinion yes and and acknowledge and, and using satire to celebrate nuance that's when it's good that's what it can do and you get this kind of crazy you know If you don't think we should invade Iraq, you are an unpatriotic American, and you can get out of the country. Versus, if you think that we should have a strong interventionist uh, U.S. policy, you are an idiot redneck and don't deserve any compassion. You know that, that that's the kind of two sides. And into this, we have the four kids: Stan, Kyle, Kenny, and Cartman, who have been commissioned by their teacher to write a report about the Revolutionary War. At which point, Cartman becomes obsessed rather with actually doing the work with. He trying to create an artificial situation where he can have a flashback yes. to the revolutionary war times, like they do in those cartoons, um, so that he can do the report without having to do the report. And lo and behold, after a number of near death experiences, he manages to have such a said flashback. He travels back to the time of the formation of the of the U.S. Declaration of Independence and learns about um, the hypocrisies and contradictions surrounding America's formation that allow him to understand the hypocrisies and contradictions that the Iraq War sums mm. up and in mm. the end America's a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll and in the words of the episode itself who cares a hundred episodes
1: yeah 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 no I, I, the, the knee jerk thing is important I think for understanding South Park and that sort of topicality that is very much part of the series and I remember when Trump came to power the creators as you say Parker and Stone said what is the future of satire in a world that is becoming increasingly satirical? And is there going to be a place for Family Guy to be able to do that kind of responsive, reactive, cultural work? And, and this speaks to longstanding issues or histories of animation in relation to propaganda and politics and, and stuff that we've looked at when we looked at the Shanghai Film Animation Film Studio and, and the role that animation plays in this kind of politi- politicised, satirical world. Um, I So I think the knee-jerk thing is important to understanding South Park because in a world where it's more it seems to be more important to be first than to be right what this program does is sort of play with the idea of being first and actually the the new the, as you say the, the kind of knotted thorny issue of of this is our initial reaction and these are which, which are inevitably going to be um fraught with tension or ambiguous or ambivalent and actually what the episode does is is narrativize that exact this is our first reaction to something and so our first reaction is going to be black and white with not much grey in the middle and we're going to kind of play with these extreme positions. But that, that, that extremity of positions comes through or comes out of the fact that they are working to quite tight deadlines or they are responding to something that's happening only a couple of days before, creating a narrative around it, quickly doing the voices themselves or imitating celebrity voices poorly yeah. and then spitting out this content that is going to be not right, but it's going to be first. And there is value in, in it being first because it kind of dramatizes extreme immediate knee-jerk reactions to things um that in in an era of well we should probably wait and see what happens or we should probably read the article rather than just gloss the headline there was something there's some interesting we shouldn't discredit the program for just being first and not necessarily being right because i think there's value as you're saying it it, there's political value in 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 us as interpreters looking at a program and going that's interesting that that was their initial reaction to something because it ends up dramatizing extreme positions as you say or extreme um, yeah. approaches to to things without that a nuance that comes with time
0: i mean some episodes don't do that and some episodes are extremely reactionary and all this sort of stuff but yeah I think, I think when it gets it right like I, there's a very good episode with, uh, where Obama uh, after Obama's first administration and it's exactly the same it's always the adults and the kids are the ones classic kids are the voice of reason and adults are the idiots but it's, it's, it's always the adults and it's usually Randy Marsh Stan's dad the guy with the moustache and the rolled up uh, shirt who, uh, who like you know is running around like naked in the street proclaiming change has come and like you know absolutely like in ecstasy whilst on the other side of town uh, the conservative voters are you know slashing their wrists because the devil is coming and you know it's so it's like it's good it's good at doing that uh, it's not always good at doing other things And as I say um, it's it's got a history of, of being um, not you know of, 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 well of, of all the stuff we've already talked about but yeah I, I thought the episode was really great um, I thought it was you know getting on with the job of being South Park um, there were some quiet references to its hundredthness so there's a yeah, line at the end where they just randomly sing this is the 100th episode and hey let's all have a sing song and, and it yep. doesn't matter uh, as a way of resolving this conflict and the kids are like what are they doing now oh, I hate this I town hate, I this. hate this town yeah. yeah I hate this town so much um, and and also there's a, a gag I guess that I would get more than you as a as a frequent watcher which is that at the end of each episode usually Stan or Kyle stands up and says do you know what I've learnt something today and kind of resolves the tension of the town but this one Cartman gets to do it and, and the idea that Cartman should be the voice of reason in anything is um uh, it's always problematic in the world of South Park, Cartman being a a, a homicidal, sadistic, uh, racist, um, you know, bigot. Um, which we see in this, he's, we see him, he see him kill a man in this episode quite um, happily oh, and yes. bury him in the uh, bury him in the garden. You know, this is uh, this is Cartman incarnate. So uh, sure,
1: sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I only have two other points. One is about yep. character design. I thought it was yep. interesting that the the kind of character design of the core characters remains that sort of. They're, they're sort of circles with legs, really, um, or big faces with small bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, the character design of the kind of real historical figures sure. was more realist. And I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of a striking way of, of of thinking about the past. I don't know. I, 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 I don't really have anything to say other than no. when, when the when the world flashes back, or Cartman has his artificial flashback to 1776 yeah. um, to learn about the founding fathers, as you say. it's, it's These historical, real-life characters that, that seem to be designed differently to the... The uniform way that South Park characters, and actually yeah. this is something that that um, each of these shows has kind of a brand identity in terms of the way it looks, which makes perfect sense. But The Simpsons, as we know, has the the yellow. Um, characters which graining decided was good if you're flicking through the tv channels and you spot these characters that would grab your attention um but even the flintstones you know it has the the representation Mm -hmm. of the mouths and the design of characters sort of replicates in some of the supporting characters as well the only other thing i've got to know is is the title so it says celebrity voices are impersonated poorly which i thought was was interesting given the the way that the simpsons uses star voices both explicitly and in a more veiled fashion you have Michael Jackson pretending not to be Michael Jackson or pretending to be a man pretending to be Michael Jackson but credited into sure. something else in an early episode of The Simpsons. You have Dustin Hoffman being Mr. Bergstrom and no one knows, is that Dustin Hoffman? And then you have characters playing themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So South Park kind of plays on its low budgetness by talking basically, the, we are going to in, in, impersonate these characters, it's going to be poor. I also thought it was interesting that on that title card, which I assume begins every episode, yeah. um, celebrity voices are impersonated poorly, you have a cursor flashing that suggests that it's a computer Mm -hmm. and then you cut to handmade work and this is a bit of an illusion because that this is not how south park is made it's made entirely on computer um at least in the later series anyway well it's not it's not made in this well it's not produced in this handmade crafty style that that the programme seeks to present but I think embedded within that is that kind of topicality of, of this is the pro, this is the world that it, as it is and now here we're, we're trying to cut these characters out and you have hands coming in cutting out the characters and arranging them in particular ways and moving mouths and bodies and stuff which obviously has a long lineage back to, to, to the lightning sketches of the um, 1890s and early um, 1900s and Donald Crafton and Malcolm Cook writing about the performance of animation in this early period and the role of the hand to connote labour and all that sort of stuff um this I thought was a play on that and a riff on that but actually it's it's false because this is not how, how South Park is made and I, I think there's obviously, well, as we know there's something very political about um, the handmade versus the industrial machine of South Park and I feel like South Park's creators returning to the hand of the artist or at least trying to to identify and distinguish itself from mass-produced cartoons like The Simpsons, um, sure. and talking and, and doing that through the hand and, and handcrafted labour and, and mm-hmm. the artisanal and, and that sort of stuff, and, and uh, a sense in which the program has been de-skilled, sort of maintains its. It's like that th- the relationship between like Aldi and Marks and Spencers. You think of Aldi as this up-and-coming independent, just trying to make it against these big, and you know Aldi is this massive company with. Massive overheads and is is yeah. as much Mark Spencer's as Mark Spencer's, but we like an underdog, and I feel like th- this program is playing with that. It's sort of, mm-hmm. it's kind of animation on the lower frequencies, and it's trying to articulate yeah. that through the, the 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 role of the hand hand of the artist or the craft of animation, okay. when actually, that's doing quite an illusory imaginary political role in trying to, to tell the audience South Park is this reactionary, reactionary and provocative and, and outside the mainstream sort of programme that's allowed to get away with these things when actually it's as industrially produced as, as anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and, and again, it's trying to establish this register of satire, I think, you know, that's what we get talk about with The Simpsons. How do, you, how do you remain outside of society when you are becoming part of the fabric of society? I think it's yeah. another way south yeah. park tries to maintain that um that 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 uh askance view at the same time. yeah so should we move on to yes. family guy uh, so i think we might now uh, this might be we might swap roles here because i'm i'm a bit of a grump about family guy um never really got it never oh, right. really um saw what what I don't, I don't i don't get it but um i've seen a number of episodes in my attempt to get it and I was uh, happy to watch this one, but why don't you uh, 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 yep. give us the, the spiel on this one?
1: Yeah, yeah, so I'm a yeah, big, fan of, um, big fan of Family Guy, and it's very much cut from the same cloth as, as The Simpsons, and, and actually quite deliberately so, and, and there are rivalries between the, the programmes that are very well noted, and, and this has come from the front cover of American television, um, kind of guides, guides, redesigning the characters of Family Guy to be the characters in The Simpsons and sort of saying, you know, they're really similar. And what Seth MacFarlane has done is taken the template of The Simpsons and just adopted it and, and changed the colour of the characters and here we are, we've got Family Guy. Um, this has now taken on a new life um, because there have been crossover episodes between The Simpsons and Family Guy. And actually in this episode there are references to The Simpsons, quite explicit references to The Simpsons. Um, so I think Family Guy has, is very aware of And Seth MacFarlane has now been very open to say, we sort of looked to what The Simpsons was doing and copied that. But it's essentially Peter and Lois, husband and wife, their children, Chris, who is um, voiced by Seth Green, trying to imitate the villain Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) Really? Yep. um, He puts the lotion in the basket, Alex. Uh, And uh, Mila Kunis, who voices uh, Meg, and then you have a kind of um, sociopathic young baby, Stewie, and the family dog, Brian Griffin. Now Stewie... Um, Stewie, Brian, and um, Peter in True Voice Artist Creator Style are all voiced by Seth MacFarlane, so it's very much his kind of his kind of baby. Uh, and again, this is a sort of st- uh, a standard episode. Really, it's it's um, it's I should say this is yeah this is the hundredth episode as broadcast, rather than um, this hundredth episode spectacular. But it's yeah a, st- a standard episode that focuses really on Brian, so the, the family dog who manages to kind of attract these really attractive women at every turn um his relationship with Jillian who's voiced by Drew Barrymore um and he wants to sort of break up with Jillian but he ends up moving in with Jillian and um they sort of test out their relationship even though Stewie is paying his um paying his rent for him uh yeah I'd say it's a Brian-centered um Brian-centered episode there are references to um uh simpsons their reference to disney on ice um so it's again very similar to to the simpsons that it's very reactive and pop culture and stuff like this um you're not a, you're not a family guy fan though alex you say
0: no i i i don't know and i'm not gonna be able to articulate it very well so screw it um but i don't i find family guy icky and, oh, and right. uncomfortable and i don't trust the people that make it Um, and all of these things could be applied to South Park and I know they could (laughs) and and fairly should be but I don't I don't have I I find I don't there's something about the world there's something about the the cutaway gags you know Uh, there's something about there's something about um I don't like any of the characters um at all in a way that even cartman you kind of I like a little bit in a weird kind of, why do I like this sociopath kind of way, but I don't really like any of the characters bar maybe Lois, um, you know, uh, and I just it's just not a world I enjoy inhabiting and it's not a humour I, I, I click with.
1: I, it's, it's interesting that it sort of takes us back to the discussion of the Flintstones is that, that if one of the things that the Flintstones is really good for is is playing with modern technology and kind of anachronism and what would happen if if the world of the, the prehistory of the stone age kind of came into conflict with post-war America and what would a fax machine look like in 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 those days well it would look like a a dinosaur spitting out paper and stuff like this. Um, what would a photograph look like? Well, it would be a stone tablet with an etching on it. That's what it would be. Mm. Anachronism is foundational to the way that Family Guy creates its humor. And some of the criticisms of Family Guy is that they aren't constructing jokes; they're just remembering things from the seventies and eighties and nineties and kind of pop culture and putting that, putting that into our world, but giving it a spin. Or, or there are there are jokes in other programs about how Family Guy comes up with its jokes. Are uh, you have a pool of scenarios and a, like, a, like, like drawing the football um, fixtures, you have like a, a, a group of, of numbered balls that have scenarios in and a group of numbered balls that have popular television programs. And it's like, what would happen if Batman took place in the Middle East? And then that's your cutaway. And there's sort of, that. that's where the criticism I think of Family Guy lies. It's not quite South Park because it doesn't, doesn't go full pelt. It tries to be a, a more palatable version of South Park, but a more provocative version of The Simpsons. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And is really just about, some of it is quite harsh. Some of the humour is quite harsh. Um, a lot of it is inconsequential. Um, but the the, the
0: mm. I also I I actually I also think that that the template we set up about an hour ago about you know playing with this sandbox of the of the suburban mm. suburban family, I think that might also be my problem. With it. I just don't think you can get. A, I think we've now got to the point where Peter Griffin and Lois Griffin don't make any sense. Like. Like why why is why is Lois Griffin with this man like mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's kind of I think if I asked Seth MacFarlane that he'd be like that's the joke isn't it is that like what we've done is we've taken Homer Simpson and we've moved all his you know amiable like you know Homer Simpson actually when the, when when the when it gets down to it. Shows himself to be a committed family member and is committed to Marge and is committed to you know he's he may he met you know he <coughs> is oafish but actually the film the show doesn't want you to not think Homer isn't a loving father and 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 husband. Mm. Separate father has no interest in making us do that with Peter. Peter is Peter is a selfish, um, misogynistic you know um, um, you know he's, there's not really any redeeming qualities. To him as a mm. character, other than that, perhaps he can make us laugh, and I don't understand that relationship and and I guess the gender pull. And then you've got characters like Quagmire, who I just find like I don't find it funny. I don't find I find it pretty reprehensible, um, and I don't like. It feels to me very how I met your mother. There's a window of like you know, and Chris is pulling a face here. Like, yeah. there's a, there was a window of sitcom where where we were allowed to be really like grossly sexist, and it was and it was. And it was post, and it was ironic, and it was, and it was hilarious in that respect. And and I think Family Guy came in in that window, and I'd like that window to go away now, please, because <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think it's you know I don't I don't think um, Quagmire bedding Marge Simpson, which happens in this episode, um, and then like shooting the entire family to get away with it is is, is funny mm. right, you know. mm. but well, then I guess a- I do find Cartman shooting um, an, uh, an ancestor of the Revolutionary War funny so wh- wh- what am I doing Exactly S- swings and <laughs> roundabouts I, I just
1: um, I think there's yeah there's certainly a genre of sitcom or a cycle of sitcoms w- where you think they come up with a joke first and then work out scenarios to fit the joke and you ultimately end up with a series of sketches that are loosely knotted together and, and, and um, w- whereas there is a coherent narrative across King of the Hill Flintstones even Um, South Park and and The Simpsons Family Guy it's often seen as a series of gags and set-ups and the programme is reflexive about that it plays with that by having and then we're going to cut away now and it's it's very open about its own gag structure Um, and whether or not that reflexivity is enough for the programme to sort of save itself, to say we know we're being inconsequential, we know we're and – and they do things like they kill off characters and then when the audiences go, I can't believe you've done that, they write an episode where it was all a simulation and they say, cool, that would, that would be really annoying if people thought that that's what we were going to do. but they, So they're just very they, – it, it's all very kind of – it's very light touch. And, and so yeah. it ends up being yeah, not that's really right. about There's anything. no
0: consequence, is there? Like, and that's the point. Like, that's what we're supposed yeah. to enjoy is that. Hey, it's <coughs> just a joke. Don't worry, it's just a joke. And I don't think even when South Park is being at its most reprehensible, even then, it's not just trying to be a joke. It's trying to do something, and perhaps that's the problem with it. Here, it's not. I'm not sure what it's. I don't think it's trying to do anything. Then, you know, it. It just reminds me of Seth MacFarlane's Oscar performance. Like, you know, it's it's. Should I say something really offensive in yeah. this bit? Yeah, alright. Yeah. Should I say something really nice here? Yeah, why not? Should I be really, like, pointed about Weinstein here? Yeah, why not? Uh, because there's no consequences to my actions. Exactly. Who who
1: cares 100 episodes? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There yeah. are only, so only other couple of things. I think the reference to The Simpsons is really important. So you have, um, in the same way that The Simpsons episode, as you said, begins with that Fox logo that they rip off the television screen somehow and stamp on, here you have a sort of a tape along the bottom that is announcing up episodes or n- next up on Fo- and then you have uh, Quagmire inter- interact with Marge, and then it cuts to someone doing a poor impersonation of Marge, and you have... Uh, Homer and Bart and Lisa and Maggie which sounds like Maggie's killed everybody because she's the last yeah. last person standing um, so references to The Simpsons I think are really important you have random as I said Gillian who is voiced by Drew Barrymore as a human um Woman uh, having a cross-species relationship with uh, Brian, which opens up a lot of interesting things about anthropomorphism and how animation negotiates cross-species relationship, which we haven't got time to go into, but Ratatouille is, is another interesting example <laughs> of how do you negotiate human and animal relation. Uh, and then you have Adam West. It would be wrong to not... Adam West is my favourite character sure. in the programme. I actually,
0: I actually like Adam West in yeah. so far. Yeah, so Adam, <laughs>
1: Adam West voicing a twisted version of Adam West, which actually is nicely symbolic of an entire register as a set of animated voices stars who become stars because of their voice work stars who voice twisted versions of themselves stars that play fictional characters so adam west voicing a, a sort of monstrous mayoral version of adam yeah. west uh is is up there with superintendent charms and skinner as sort of some of my famous sure. uh, favorite animated characters but um, yeah uh There we go. So this episode, that episode was 2007. That's our most recent. So um, the programme was eight years old. Family Guy was cancelled in between and kind of came back to to, to popular DVD sales and home video sales. But um, episode, 100th episode was from 2007, series six, um, and was called Moving Out, Brian's Song. Um, So there we go. That was our cross section of 100th episodes. That was our cross
0: section. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I hope listeners enjoyed that, um, and I hope they've enjoyed the last episode. 100 episodes of this yeah yeah we're going to keep going we'll keep going as long as you'll have us Um, it's been a delight to do it Um, if you um, if you want to help us you know what you've got to do you've got to subscribe via any of the podcast uh, services that you use if you can leave a review if you're an Apple user then please do we could do with a few more to be honest we haven't had any for a while uh, and they really do help Uh, we're doing quite nicely we don't mind uh, all your lovely Um, thoughts on social media but if you could leave a a review um, to celebrate our 100th episode that would be really really fantastic please Mm. do so Um, how else can you get involved you can of course contact us uh, via fantasy-animation.org maybe you're an academic or a student or a writer um, and you want to or an animator or someone from industry or anyone who thinks they've got 600, 1,000 words out in them that they'd like to say about the relationship between fantasy and animation. We haven't finished dissecting it just yet. There is more to say. <laughs> what? You can do that what? On, on our blog. And of course, um, you can ask us any question you like for our footnote episodes. And you can do that at fananimresearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M, research at gmail.com. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, same handle, fananimresearch.com. F A N A N I M research. I have said those words quite a few times. About, well,
1: I was gonna say like over over a hundred times for sure. Yeah, for sure. I
0: reckon so. I reckon so. Do we have any other solemn notes we need to uh, communicate at this hundredth hour, or can we just get on with the job?
1: No, I think um, if I mean if people have um, suggestions for future. Um, television series that you feel like we that haven't maybe reached their 100th episode yeah. yet or uh, maybe for our 200th episode we'll do 200th episodes, I don't know but that we're, yeah. we're always. I think we're always thinking through ways to do television and this felt like a really good way to do it but um, we're trying to keep on top of television programs so if you've seen something you've seen, um, kind of watch a program over the summer or you feel like there's a program out there that, that fits the Fantasy Animation intersection um, but you missed the window maybe to write a review of it but you've got some notes brewing, definitely get in touch because um, we're always on the lookout for, for blog posts posts and and sort of yeah we're trying to shore up our schedule for for the weeks to come so weeks and months to come so please do um drop us a line via the um uh fancy animation email or the website because yeah we can't keep track of everything on television that's coming out and and um yeah there are experts in the field that are um definitely more well versed in in contemporary animation and television fantasy than we are so um yeah we'd love to hear from you if you've got um ideas for think pieces or sequence analysis stuff like that
0: absolutely absolutely and thank you very much for listening uh and please continue to do so um it's been it's been a pleasure uh, a privilege chris thank you for coming on this journey with me thank um, you for thank you for
1: coming with me too and here's to the next 100
0: yes and here's to the next 100, next 100. absolutely yeah great um well we'll see you next time then
1: bye